You are listening to a sermon from Gateway Foursquare Church in Campbell River, BC. We are so glad that you joined us today and trust that the Lord will speak a word directly to you as you listen. To learn more about Gateway, find out what's happening, or to give a gift online, check us out at www.gatewayfoursquare.ca. You are welcome to join us in person each week at 9 and 11 a.m. Now get ready. Here is this week's message. I'm going to introduce uh, a new sermon series that I'm going to start today, and then we'll probably pick up later, uh, like after Easter. And uh, it's called Citizens, and I know that's completely, really almost impossible to read there, so we'll fix that for next week, but nonetheless. Um, Just by way of context, uh, I was reading a book not too long ago. I've mentioned it in conversation if you've chatted with me like a bajillion times, Uh, but it was one of the most impactful and insightful Christian books that I've read in a long time called The Rise uh, and Triumph of the Modern Self, a guy named Carl Truman. And just at the end of his book, there's these couple lines that really have just, the Lord highlighted them for me, and I think we're just prophetic in uh, the, the call that they give to the modern church in the West. And uh, by way of just a paraphrase of his quote, uh, he, the, the, the author, Carl Truman, is wrestling with the kind of the, the drastically changing culture around the church, and how do we understand our response? How do we navigate a world that in so many ways has become so different than what we're used to, familiar with, all these sorts of things? And so he makes the comparison in this observation that this is not new for the people of God. It might be new for us in Canada, right? For most of us, we've grown up in, 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 our, in a Canadian context or a Western context where um, being a Christian is, has generally, for most of our lives, been seen as a, a relatively good thing or at least an okay thing. And, uh, and many people, even outside of like, you know, they have a profound faith in Jesus, would even identify as Christians, right? And so it's been kind of a, like not, not flawless, but relatively easy to express Christian truth and faith in the marketplace, in our families, etc. But many of us would observe that some things are shifting and changing, and, and so what do we do? Well, we, one of the ways that we can encourage ourselves is that the church has always thrived. I'm talking big picture church over the last 2,000 years. The church even continues to thrive in challenging opposition dynamics. And one of those seasons was uh, the second century. The early church was in Rome. Rome was a highly pluralistic culture, very similar to ours. People worshiped different gods. They spoke different languages. There was trade and commerce, and there was behaviors that people engaged in in various ways that the Christians stood out and looked different. And there were seasons of intense persecution and seasons of not so intense, but yet very real persecution as a result of their faith. So one thing we need to remind ourselves is that even if it should be the case that a nation like ours, it becomes a bit harder to be a believer, we're not the first ones. So church, don't fear. Fear doesn't look good on believers. The world may change, And it might cause us some concern and some alarm and some how will we respond, but we don't need to click into fear. We don't make good choices in fear. Um, And so anyways, back to Carl Truman's book, 
he made an observation about how did the church, the early church 200 years ago, in the year 200, so this is like 1,800 years ago, how did they navigate that season? They committed themselves to the truth of God's word. Even when people in the culture were like, you guys are weird. Like in the Roman culture, they thought Christians were weird because they would refer to themselves as brothers and sisters. They're like, ah, that's weird. In the, early, in the 200s or so, they would think Christians were weird because they, they called Christians atheists because the Christians didn't worship Roman gods. And so they stood out. They wouldn't sacrifice in the ways that others did. Christians would talk about, uh, they, when they would do communion, it would be a meal. And so they, they were kind of, they, they had this, people made some really weird assumptions about them eating blood and, and drinking flesh and, and, and weird relationships with one another. None of those were true, but there were these opposing misunderstanding forces in the culture. So what did believers do? They committed to the truth of God's word, even though it made them stand out. We need to do the same. And as a church, we've all, like, that's been a core thing for us of just saying, Lord, we want to be people of the word and people of the spirit, both and and in increasing measure in Jesus' name. They also committed themselves to relationships one with another. Man, we cannot do this on our own. This is a seasoned church where we need to follow that example and we need to find and connect and out, come on Sunday, yes, but also connecting outside of Sunday to be encouraged and to bless others and be able to stand strong together. Uh, and, and then the other thing that they did is that they made it a culture and an ex, expectations maybe a bit loaded of a word, but that there was this assumption that believers were, would actually live like believers, because sometimes, man, we can commit to the truth. But sometimes the execution of that can be a bit, they, they would challenge themselves and encourage one another on to living consistently with kingdom values. So this is what I want to do over the next, uh, this sermon series called Citizens. What I want to talk about is how do we live out kingdom values in a crazy culture? The Bible tells us in a number of places, like Ephesians 2.19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, Good to know you're not an alien, hey? Uh, oh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to talk about balloons. Anyways, but you are a fellow citizen, fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Matthew 24, 14 says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. You know, here's the dynamic, church. We are part of the, if you're a believer, you're part of the kingdom of God. Amen? You're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven is not of this world, says Jesus. God's kingdom is this supernatural, but it's at hand. It's here. It's present. And it's, it's eternal. And we've been invited to become citizens of the kingdom, yet we at the same time live in this world. So we need to regularly remind ourselves, when you became a believer, you became a citizen of a different country, yet you still live in this one. We, we probably have heard that phrase, we live in the world, but not we're not of the world. We live in the world, but we're still called to the world as representatives of the kingdom of God. And so I want to encourage us. When we, we're living in this culture of this world, yet we're the ones meant to bring the culture of the kingdom of heaven to this world and not let the world influence us. We're meant to influence the world. Can I hear an amen? But the reality is, is that's easier said than done. We are immersed 
in the kingdom of the world. And so there is an intentional effort on our behalf to live out consistently who you really are. You belong to God's kingdom, if you're a believer, amen. And now we get the opportunity to say, Lord, transform my thinking, transform my actions, that they might line up with your kingdom, not this kingdom. Living consistently out of who we are in the world is what I want to chat about. And I think the way that it'll probably, it'll, it's going to look is that we're going to look at some ways that we're being influenced by culture and then say, well, what does the, how does the kingdom respond to this sort of idea? Because we need to be equipped and, and aware and prepared to be those that would represent our king really well. We serve a good king. Amen, church? He loves us. He's for us. He saved us and redeemed us. And, and now we, and we have the hope of heaven. And so we get to be a part of his kingdom. We get to submit to the lordship of Jesus as our king. And because of that, we live in unique ways. We have our own culture. And we have our own values in this kingdom. And guess who decides those things? The king. Because we came into his kingdom, Jesus didn't join yours. And for that, we should say amen. Because, man, if he was taking the lead from us, ugh, there's moments our flesh would really like that. But what is life for us is submitting to the lordship of the best king, our good king, Jesus. So I want to take us to a passage in scripture, Matthew chapter 6 today. Um, and I want to talk about one perhaps a little overlooked. I, I was actually, to be honest, I was prepping a different sermon for most of this week. And then it was like one of those moments of, er, okay, we're going that way. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, Matthew chapter 6 is where I want us to look. Some teachings right from the king, right out of Jesus' mouth. Let's look at this passage of scripture. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount. And it's one of these ways where Jesus comes along and challenges the assumptions of his followers, challenges the way that they would live their lives, and basically is telling them, we live different, guys. Everyone else might be doing this, but we do that. And then how do, we, how do we line ourselves up with that too? Matthew chapter 6, um, starting in verse 1. We're going to read, and then uh, not because I don't want to read it, but for the sake of time, we'll skip over the Lord's Prayer because we're not preaching about prayer today necessarily, but some of the context in and around uh, the Lord's Prayer. Lord, in this short time that we have, I pray that you would make my words fruitful, that they would be yours, and they'd go deep into our hearts to transform us, renew our thinking, and cause us to be committed afresh, to live in the light of your kingdom in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. I like it. In the NET, it says, talk about, it talks about displaying your righteousness. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. 
So we're talking about this first segment, giving to the poor. Secondly, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Highlighting their motive. The motive is to be seen. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, what's Jesus saying? People in my kingdom, this is how we roll. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's skip down to verse um, 16. Giving to the poor, prayer, and now fasting. And when you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward. Do you see the pattern? Jesus is a really great teacher. He highlights three key religious practices. He's, not, he's saying we should do these things, but we need to do them like we do them in the kingdom. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So what do we have? Today I want to chat just a little bit about the teaching of Jesus and how it contrasts to the culture of our day. Jesus is teaching some simple principles here about how do we live out our Christian faith with a real good level of discretion and modesty. And I'm not talking clothing modesty. I'm talking about an attitude and a posture of our lives where we live out our Christian faith, faith not for the show. And this is so important. Why? A, Jesus needed to teach his earliest followers about that. And guess what? We still need to hear it too. We have some unique ways that our culture is challenging us to live our lives in a certain way that is completely antithetical to this. Our culture is increasingly a performative culture. Do you know what I mean by that? Okay. Maybe if you know, here's an illustration. Are you ready? From the news, right from the headlines. Here we go. There's been a bit of a like, kerfuffle over the last number of weeks and months as certain NHL teams want, uh, are kind of mandating all the players on their teams wear certain jerseys during practice time. Uh, for, I don't, I'm not wanting to make a big uh, statement today necessarily about, they're, they're, it's like pride celebration, so they want their players to wear these jerseys that have like rainbows on them in order to support the LGBTQ plus community. Um, but then the challenge has been this. Some of the players are kind of like, I'm a believer. I can't wear the jersey. I'm sorry. I, I, can't, I won't be able to be on the ice for that. And it's created this kind of a storm of media controversy. Some teams are now like, well, we're going to have to just not do that at all or that part of it and all these sorts of things. And so you're wondering, why am I bringing this up? Well, our culture loves performative statements. Our culture doesn't even really care if you really believe it, but you should say the right thing at the right time so that you look virtuous, right? That is not a kingdom value. So Jesus comes and says, when we do our faith, we do it in a way that we're not worried about who sees me. That's not what motivates me. 
Our culture, on the other hand, is do things so that they see you and think good about you. That's not the way the kingdom rolls. But we live in a world that says, make your statements. They better be the right statements. You know, there's this pressure to be seen. And then, again, no surprise that I would... And again, back to the, the hockey jerseys. There's some of these Christian players that are saying, I won't be able to wear the jersey. But you read their statements, and they're really nice guys. They're like, anyone is welcome on my team. I've always treated anybody of any background with respect and kindness and love, and I'm not forcing anything on anybody. But again, our culture's performative, so it doesn't matter what you say. You're not performing the way you should. It's just a really... There's a billion examples of the performance of our culture. And again, this goes so into every sphere of life. Think about our politicians of all stripes, okay? I'm not saying, I'm not saying there's one virtuous team on this level at least, that there is this pressure to say and do the right things whether it's actually what you believe. And what Jesus says is the exact opposite. Jesus wants us to live authentically out of who he's made us to be and never for the approval and praise of men. Perhaps one of the ways that we're the most challenged in this area is social media. And it's not we've never talked about social media, but we probably should talk more about social media. Why? Because technology like that is shaping the way you think and you don't even know it. And again, I'm not, like, I was number, about a year or so ago, I'm trying to remember when it was, two years ago, that the Lord really challenged me to not, not post very much on Facebook anymore. I often post stuff for the church so that people know what's happening and, and la, 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 la. Uh, but there can be this really insidious, subtle little thing. And the, and the, the technology is made to, to stir this in you. You post a picture showing the best part of your life. And then there's this expectation of people, you're waiting then for people to like and comment. And then how do you feel when a bunch of people like and comment? Awesome. And then you train yourself. Well, if I do that again, more people will like me. I like being liked. And do you see how that performative thing just, without even you thinking about it, is happening? So how do we as believers say, Look at the example of Jesus. Jesus was never looking for people's praise. He wasn't doing his ministry so that people would, that he would be like, yeah, now they're seeing and be like, yeah, Jesus. No, Jesus, he was antithetical to that. People would get too, like, chummy around him, and then he'd say something really hard to drive them away. Read the Bible. People are like, we're going to make him king. We're going we're gonna to put him on the throne. And Jesus says stuff like, I was reading in my devotions yesterday in Luke, and Jesus is teaching the parable about a, a guy in a kingdom, and he goes to receive a kingdom, and he sets his servants to, with ten minas and five and so on and so forth. And, and at the end of the story that Jesus is telling that's identifying the kingdom in Luke, it says... Um, or Jesus himself in telling this parable is like, and for those of the servants in the story uh, that don't want to be under, my, in the, under the parable, under my authority, like bring them in front of me and slaughter them is in the Bible. Now, it was a story. Jesus is telling a parable, but they knew what Jesus was talking about. 
So I love the example of Jesus. Think about the time, time where Jesus' brothers who did not yet believe in him are like, well, Jesus, if you're going to do this like Messiah thing, you need to go to the feast now so that everyone will know you. Go do some signs. Make a big thing. And Jesus is like, eh, it's not the way I roll. And he waits till days later to go to the feast. Did Jesus not show up in person? No, he did. But he wasn't doing it to drive a crowd. And so I want to just challenge us today briefly in this regard. I think that's what I've already been doing. That we're citizens of a different kingdom. And I want us to think about our lives. And again, I, I, of all the Sundays that I preach about it, I, I'm like rigmarole with my boys in the front row. Uh, of all the moments to feel like I need to be performing, it's like, well, the pastor better have a good reign on his children in the front row while this is live streaming to the world. Um, so how do I do this? You know, some of these moments. I don't, that's not a, I'm not saying that I praise the Lord. <laughs> the unique challenges of pastors and pastors' kids and the, in this century and all these sorts of fun things. But I think this is such an important thing for us to consider in two ways. One, I think this performative culture uh, causes us and, and is a setup for some for pride and self-focus. But on the other hand, for some too, I, want good, I have good news for you today. Because this idea of performance has led you to be... <laughs> here Again, I feel so much for our youngest generation, our Gen Zers and our young generation who are just saturated in this expectation of life. Like, oh, I'm doing a thing. I better take a picture of me doing the thing. And I better take it from an angle that is the nicest side so that somebody will like me. And, oh, no, my friends didn't like me. And then they're crushed and it hurt. And, and, and we can, I feel so much. And the good news of the gospel, the good news of the kingdom is this. You don't have to perform. So I love it. There's this call to us to say, hey, where are we performing? We got to be aware of that and aware of our heart and intentional. There's also this side of good news. You don't have to perform to be accepted. There's a longing in all of us to be loved and accepted. And our culture is saying, put up a false version of yourself and then you'll be liked. The kingdom doesn't say that. Jesus says, I've redeemed you. You're a new creation in Christ. You're accepted in the beloved. You don't need to perform. God's not tracking your Facebook. And like waiting for you to put the, like the most, the, the smartest wording post or the best picture showing you and, you know, an artificial moment of life that actually isn't a reflection of all the things. But you took the picture at the right angle and it looks good and all these sorts of things. I want to encourage, I think there's some people that needed to hear this word in the sense that rest from the pressure of performance. You're loved by God. At the end of the day, what more do we need? I get to be free from that pattern because I don't need likes to know I'm loved. I don't need to show that my life has this amazing highlight reel for me to know that I'm rooted and grounded in awareness that I'm a child of the Most High God. As believers, we, get, we can be set free from that performative 
thing right from the core of who we are because of the gospel, because of the truth of the word of God. We could be free of it in Jesus' name. A couple of thoughts, and then I want to pray. Well, well yes, a few, a few thoughts. I'm struggling here. <laughs> I want to just make a mention. Does this mean what Jesus taught, right? Do the pray, fast, give in secret. Does that mean we don't do anything in public? Well, no, that's impossible. And Jesus himself said, let your light shine before men so they might see your good works and praise your Father in heaven. But do you see the difference? The Pharisees and our modern Pharisee spirit wants to do it for the eyes on me. When Jesus says, let your light shine, who do the eyes get lifted up to? Him. The motive of the heart. So this is, I don't think Jesus meant literally all, every, you can never pray in public, guys. Because then himself, his own followers in the early church all blew it. But when, they, when you pray in public, know your heart. Are you praying in a way that you're worried about what the other person's going to think? Or are you just praying because you just love the Lord? And the good news is, if you've been wrestling with that, of that performative thing, the good news is, is that you can allow the Lord to set you free from that. It's so good, but we need to be aware of it because it will lead us to really funny places if we keep running down that track. But again, how do we apply these sorts of, this kingdom dynamic of modesty, discretion, in a world that's like, perform, perform, perform. A couple thoughts. One, the, con- the kingdom of God doesn't need, sp- need to be splashy to be effective. I think there's this idea that's crept into the church in the West in general, that we need to kind of be cool and splashy and have a celebrity pastor uh, that like, has friends w- in Hollywood in order for us to be effective. The kingdom of God doesn't need those things to be effective. Amen? Look at Jesus. There was no form or beauty that we would behold him, the Bible tells us. Jesus wasn't some stud that everyone's like, man, we just got to be near Jesus all the time because we're going to look cooler and I'm going to be like, selfie with Jesus, and then people are going to think better of me. No, no, no. The Bible tells us that Jesus, even as in a physical appearance, didn't come in a way that he was like, a, like, like think Oh, I'm running all these things together. Think of like King Saul, the first king of Israel. He was a head taller than everyone else. He looked like a king. And how'd that go for him? Real bad. Jesus came along. He wasn't he- like taller than everyone else with beautiful Scandinavian long hair and perfect blue eyes and these sorts of things. He was average and ordinary. Didn't seem to stop the kingdom of God from working. The kinds of people that Jesus saves and does great things with. He doesn't need you to be a rock star to change the world. But our performative world tells you that you do. You need to be a better version of you for you to be used by God. The kingdom of God does not need you to fit into some artificial worldly mode in order to be effective. Be the person God made you to be and set your sights on his glory and he can do amazing things. It's good. The kingdom doesn't need splash to be effective. Another verse that I don't know if I've ever preached from. Embrace a quiet life. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 and following. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you. What is he saying to the Thessalonians? You guys love each other. 
For yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Verse 10. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. I would preach that to us too. I love the love. Let's do it more. And to aspire to live quietly. Isn't that wonderful? That's in the Bible. And mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. I was just thinking about the way that that we live our lives. I'm not dependent on getting likes and comments on my Facebook. I am so secure in who I, who I am as a child of God. I'm free from it. I don't need to make a big deal of myself. I can live quietly because I don't need to draw attention to me. Lord, might my life draw attention to Jesus? Is that, 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 anyways, I've often thought about that Thessalonians verse, right? Our world says, have an exciting life and do all these things. And then the Bible comes along and says, live quietly, take care of your needs, love people. Yeah, we sometimes live under this pressure of, oh no, if I don't have a certain career by a certain stage in my life, I've failed. And if I don't do this, that, or the other, we've not met the performance benchmarks. And it's like the word of God is like, let's just not care about those things. Because we live in a kingdom that's different. It's a kingdom of life and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And that affects even the way that we interact with others in the world around us. And then I've already mentioned it. Let's be careful and consider our social media use. Again, I'm not saying everybody needs to get off social media. But I'm saying if you're not thinking strategically and scripturally about social media, then you probably should go off until you have a game plan. And I'm going to have some fun. And you probably just shouldn't be on TikTok anyways. Because <laughs> some of it is just garbage, 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 and garbage in. We just got to be thoughtful, guys. Especially when the systems are set up to grab your attention and force you to become a product and perform, perform, perform. Again, I'm not saying everyone should come up, but if you need to wrestle with that. Do you, do you get what I'm meaning there, what I'm saying? Communication's great. I got a message from an aunt of mine the other day about a family member that I wouldn't have got otherwise. So thank you, Jesus. There's tools that, I, that we can rejoice in. But when those tools are designed to grab your attention by making you the product, man, we've, we've, we're, we're on, we live in another kingdom. And I'm not saying we need to make Christian Facebook or something like that. I'm just saying we need to be careful. Because we want to be people that respond to the teachings of Jesus, that, that, that actually changes the way that we live, right? Right down to how we're spending our time on our phones. The gospel changes that. As we allow God to renew our minds. Okay. We'll come back to these thoughts. But 2 Corinthians 5.20, let's end there. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. I don't know if I actually, maybe it's not on the screen. So hear the word. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You're an ambassador. And now unfortunately, there's no diplomatic privileges that come along with our gig. You don't get a car with flags on the front to drive around. I'm part of the kingdom of God. Diplomatic community. Police officer, you can't pull me over and give me a ticket. It's not that kind of ambassador. 
But here's the thing. If we're going to be effective ambassadors, we've got to actually think like, live like, and love like the kingdom of God. So the world can look in and say, their God's real. Not that the ambassador is anything. The ambassador is only good at their job as they point people back to the right kingdom. And so today's big idea, uh, Gwen, you're on keys. You can come on up. I'm just going to pray. I want to challenge us again in this performative versus discretion dynamic. Let's get off of that unending treadmill of I must perform to be loved and recognize that in the kingdom of God, I'm already loved. So I don't need to perform. So let's stand together. I'm going to wrap up our sermon by praying just after I read some verses from Ephesians for you. I want to remind you who you are so we can live this out. So let's open our ears. Can we just do something? Let's all stand on our feet because we're about to wrap, if you're able. Let's close our eyes. I'm going to pray in a minute, but I just want you to hear the word of the Lord. Out of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to 14. Hear who you are in God's kingdom. This is what God says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Even as he chose us, he chose you, in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Christ Jesus, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. You're blessed. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished on you in all wisdom and insight, making known to you the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, you have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Lord, we thank you today that we have been called into your kingdom. And Lord, I pray that as we just consider the way that that changes the way we live every day in our lives, God, I pray in the name of the Lord that you would set us free from the bondage of patterns and ways of thinking of the kingdom of this world and that we would be set free as ambassadors, as servants of the Most High God. Lord, I thank you for the good news of the gospel, that you're not waiting for us to perform. You're not waiting for us to live our lives to this artificial standard. Lord, by faith, we've come into your kingdom and you've made us a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people set apart for God. You've made us sons and daughters. I thank you that we might be rooted in who we've been made to be. So, Lord, that we would not be tempted to fall into patterns of needing to be accepted and praised by others. 
but for your glory, we get to live our lives for you in peace and in joy. So God, I thank you for the work of your spirit in our lives. I thank you what you are doing in us and through us. And I pray, God, that as we look to the future, that we would continue to be people that are shaped by kingdom thinking, not world thinking. Make us more like you. We love belonging to a good king, and we praise you, Jesus. In your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. All right. Praise the Lord. It's 12 o'clock. Teresa asked to share a brief testimony. I added the word brief, Teresa, because we're at 12 o'clock. But praise the Lord. If you'd like, you can be seated just for a moment, and then I'll dismiss. Good morning, Teresa. Two weeks ago, my doctor called me to let me know I had a mass on my bladder. So later that week, we had a prayer meeting. And everybody at the prayer meeting prayed, laid hands on and believed. Last Wednesday, I went to the specialist. We could find no mass. Thank you, Lord. Three times. He was way right confused. Amen. I wasn't because God healed me and I knew it. Amen. Awesome. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Teresa, for sharing that. All right. It's noon. I love you all. I'm gonna I'm gonna dismiss because we're like way over time. I'll come and grab, we'll come and get it. We'll share it on Facebook. Praise the Lord. If you need prayer for healing, please come. We'd love to pray with you this morning, but be blessed. We love you. Have an awesome day. For those of you joining us online, we are so glad that you did. It's good to see you. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We trust that the Lord has something great in store for you. Do you have a question or a prayer request? Send an email to info at gatewayfoursquare.ca or find us on Facebook at GatewayCR. Don't forget we gather each Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. at 403 Fifth Avenue here in beautiful Campbell River. Have a great day.